Okay, we're carrying on our series unpacking the prophecy from Graham Cook that we talked about a few weeks ago. There's still a few copies here available. And I want to ask this question. What moves God most deeply? What do you think is the most important and strongest desire on God's heart? What do you think? You can shout out any answers. What do you think is moving God most deeply? What do you think is motivating God in everything he does? Pardon? Love for us. Faith. Connection with people. Prayer. Intimacy. What do you think his strongest goal in all of history is? To, to save us. But even greater than, there's something even greater than all those amazing answers, and even greater than intimacy, even greater than saving us. <laughs> to know him, even greater. He's, what was Forgiveness. You are, all those things are great and they're all true. And he is after connection. And it's true that he loves to cause our faith to grow, that we connect to him and trust him. And it's true that he wants to uh, cause us to have intimacy with him. But even greater than absolutely everything we've just had and said is that God created the world for his own glory. It's actually all about God. See, I, I, I like banners. In a sense, there's great banners like your year of significance. It's true, we're born for significance. Uh, that's true, but there's something even greater than the significance of people. It's the glory and the significance of God. And God is pursuing his significance in, to be elevated everywhere. So we can talk about the glory of Jesus, but what actually is glory? It's the wonders of God going public. That's glory. So all those things are true when he forgives somebody, when he saves somebody, when somebody learns that they are created in his image and they love themselves. It shows off God. It makes God big in that sense. Not that he becomes big, but he becomes honoured and he becomes famous in testimonies and the things that he does. It's, his pursuit is that he would be shown off, that he would be displayed, that his character and worth would be seen in the whole earth. That's where it's all heading. That the glory, the renowned, the fame the excellency of God would be seen as the waters cover the sea, that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's where all this is heading. So all this is heading. And in the Graham Cook prophetic word, there's a section that says, Jesus is everything to me. This is the father talking. He is 
everything to me. He is everything to me. And I will see him glorified on earth. In other words, I will see him made public. I will see the wonders of who he is, the wonders of the cross, the wonders of his life, the wonders of his resurrection, the wonders of his ascension, the wonders of his glorification, the wonders of his conquest, his victory over every principality and power. I will see him lifted up where in every nation in every nation, in every major city. So God's greatest goal at the moment, or throughout all history and throughout all of time, is Jesus glorified SE 18, Bexley, Eltham, Thamesmead, City of London, so that Jesus is famous and renowned in this whole area. Every major city, every small town, every small village, every region. I will see him, I will see him in his glory amongst his own people. Changes everything. Everything gets changed the moment we realise that God is actually after his own glory. Gives us a lot of peace and a lot of rest as we look at life. So everything is ultimately pointing to who God is. I'm going to refer to loads of verses, but I don't think we'll have time to look at all of them. But say Psalm 19 and verse 1. Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation is shouting. The mountains are shouting. The earth is shouting. The sky is shouting. The trees are shouting. Everything in creation is crying out. Open your eyes to the reality that everything is all about God. Open your eyes and see the sun coming up in the morning. Don't see it much, God, in this time of year. We believe, God, the sun is there by faith. We may not see it until next April. We know it's there, but when it comes up and we see it, we know it's shouting to the magnificence, the greatness, the power, the mercy, the compassion, the goodness, the kindness, the wonderfulness of God. It's shouting all the time. God's glory is the goal of all things. All things. Isaiah 48, 9 to 11, talks about, for my name's sake, for the sake of my praise, for, for my sake, for my sake, my glory I will not give to another. You and I are not another, right? We get to show God off. We are on planet Earth to glorify and point to God and show off the wonders of what it looks like to be connected, forgiven, reconciled, and new creation, creations in Christ. We're not another. 
Have you heard that? You know, people say, no, make sure God gets all the glory. He won't give his glory to another. Well, I want to stop here for a moment because Jesus said in John 17, this is important because it tells us what our life is all about. Jesus, in that amazing prayer in John 17, said, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that we may be one as we are one. He shared his glory with us. Romans said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So, new creation reality, being born again, what Jesus did at the cross is ultimately for the glory of God and the fame of God and the renown of God. How? By believers living out their glorious identity as new creations in Christ, who Christ has shared the very glory he had before the creation of the world with us. And so we can say, you know what? I'm glorious. You can say it with me. I am glorious. I'm glorious. That's what Pam was talking about. I love myself. I love myself, that glorified God. It made him famous, it made him renowned, and fearfully and wonderfully made. So you can glorify God by being you, believing who he calls you to be. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. It's what we were doing this morning. It's what we do every time we open the Bible. It's what we do every time we pray. We're contemplating the Lord's glory. We're contemplating who he is. And in viewing him and seeing him and believing him, we are being transformed into his image becoming more and more like him with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, when you become a believer, you are not just a forgiven sinner. You're a saint, you're glorious, and then you're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. Not filthy, dirty. Oh, God's working on me. He's challenging me. I'm going from dirty to dirty, little less dirty. I'm getting, I'm going grey or whatever. No, the moment, the moment heaven breaks in and you say yes to Jesus in the view of God You in that moment are glorious. And then your life is you're being transformed from one degree of glory of reflecting to another degree of glory and reflecting. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, be metamorphosized or the root of that is be transfigured. Do you remember Jesus transfigured on the mount? The glory was unveiled and they could see it. I'm not saying we become Jesus and we're God. I'm saying Jesus has shared his glory with us and we go from one degree of glory to another as we view him and as our minds are transformed, 
more and more of that glory becomes visible to the world and we magnify him. Isaiah 43, 7, God says, I created, I formed, I made you for my glory. Genesis 1, 27, we are created in God's image that we might display and reflect and show the world God. That's why it's so important that when we view people, we recognise that however far someone is from Christ, they are still gloriously valuable because they're made in the image of God. They've just fallen short of the glory, but their destiny, their calling, is to be brought back into a living, connected relationship so they might display why he made them and why they're on the planet. We're made to display God. We're made to reflect God. We're made to show God. We were made, chosen, adopted, forgiven to know, love and show God. So that people might look at you and me and say, I now know the point of the whole of history. We're God's visual aid on the earth. That's what we are. Where we are and where we go, what we do, we're God's visual aid on the earth. To point to him and say, you know what, the point of the whole of your life, the point of the whole of history, is that man and women were made, formed, created to glorify God. To show God off. I'm just going to read a few, point you to a few signposts that you can look up in your own time that demonstrate throughout scripture, God's primary purpose is for his own glory. It says in Psalm 106, 7 to 8, God saved Israel out of Egypt for his own namesake. So namesake, when he says for his own namesake, it's another way of saying for his own glory, that who he is, his name, his faithfulness, his power, his greatness might be on display. He says, God says, I raised up Pharaoh to show my power and my glory and my name. Romans That's Romans 9.17. God created Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. That's Exodus 14.4. God spared Israel in the desert for the glory of his name. Ezekiel 20.14. God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. That's 2 Samuel 7.23. God did not cast away his people when they sinned for the glory of his name. That's 1 Samuel 12, 20 to 23. Let's look up a few. That's throughout the whole Old Testament. You can just see him doing it for my name. I'm faithful to my name. I'm faithful to my fame. I'm faithful to my renown. I'm going to show who I am. I'm not going to cast you away. I'm going to keep my promises. I'm going to do what I said. Yeah, because I love you, but there's something even greater than that. I'm going to display the glory of who I am in my faithfulness and in my ability to intervene, to break through, to bring solutions. So if you look at, say, John um, 7, 18, we can see that the glory of the Father was a huge overarching motivation in the whole of Jesus's life and ministry and obedience. John 17, 18. 
He says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is the man of truth. Jesus told us to do good works so that God gets glory. Good works. Not just being nice and kind, but going and bringing breakthrough solutions and healing and bringing (coughs) hope and generosity so that God gets glory. Glory, that's in Matthew 5.16. You can look at that in 1 Peter 2.12. Let's look at this one that Jesus said that answers to prayer are ultimately for the glory of God. So that's John 14 and verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John twelve twenty seven to 28. Jesus, when he's in facing the cross and facing the reality of what Calvary is going to be in terms of excruciating pain, the reality of becoming sin for humanity, the reality of being separated from the Father. In anguish, he says in, in John 12 and verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And John 17, verse 1, Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that your Son may glorify you you and this is an interesting one God forgives our sins for his own sake that's Psalm 25 Psalm 25 and verse 11 for the sake of your name Lord forgive my iniquity though it is great So God is glorified in the sufficiency of the life and death of resurrection of Jesus to forgive sins. It's ultimately the cross is the most glorious moment in the whole of history because love and justice meet in perfect wisdom that Christ dying as us and for us and in our place fully demonstrates the capacity of God to be perfectly holy and perfectly loving and perfectly just all in one complete moment in in glorious wisdom and glorious sacrifice and wonderful obedience of Jesus. So Isaiah 43 talks again about, it's actually for the glory of God. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. I... Even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He chooses to not think about them ever again and make them as far as the east is from the west because that's to his own glory that he recognises the sufficiency and the completeness of the sacrifice of Jesus. I choose, I don't... They're all blotted out. Your transgressions 
for my own sake and remembers them no more. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son. So that's in John 16. I hope you're becoming fully persuaded and convinced by the reality. It's really not about you and me. (laughs) So it's John 16 and verse 14 about the Holy Spirit, and he will glorify me because it is from me that you will receive what will make known to you. That he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit comes to lift up Jesus, to show off Jesus, to underline everything Jesus said, to remind us of truth, to empower us, to go into all the earth, into all the nations and every village, every town, every city so that Jesus gets his reward all over the earth for his glory and for his renown. God instructs us to do everything for his glory, for his fame. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. God instructs us to do that. God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify him. That's 1 Peter 4, 11. Jesus will fill us with the fruit of righteousness for God's glory. In other words, God is so committed to our metamorphosis, our transformation, our maturity. Why? Because it's for his glory and his renown and his fame that he might be shown off in all the earth. Jesus' ultimate aim is that we see and enjoy his glory. John 17 and 24. And Habakkuk 2.14, God's plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. So sometimes people say, wow, God must be really egotistical. You know, he must be somehow needy. Does God have some kind of deficiency in him? That all the time he needs to show off his power and his might and his name. God has no lack in him. Like, he is complete. God doesn't want us distracted from what is most precious and most satisfying. trying to remember the the Westminster statement God is most glorified the chief end of man God and enjoy him forever the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever John Piper the theologian changes one word he says the chief end of Man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Do you get the difference? That God is glorified in our lives when he is most precious to us and most satisfying 
to us. God wants to help us make much of him because our true well-being is only found in God's satisfaction. There's there's nothing else that God can give us apart from himself that will ultimately satisfy us. Nothing that we were made to run on God. You You can put you can put petrol in a diesel car and you might get a couple of bunny hop moves of that car but a diesel car is meant to run on diesel and a petrol car is meant to run on petrol an electric car is meant to run on electricity you and I were designed to run on God and God knows that because he made us in his image to reflect his glory and he knows if we try and fill our tanks with anything apart from being absolutely overwhelmed with joy in who he is and who he promises to be life doesn't work and so we're called to be absolutely thrilled by God if we're bored in our Christianity it could be that we've not, we're not regularly seeing who he is. It's like we can sit by a, 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 a well that's bubbling up in a mountain and we can look at it as the water bubbles up out of the earth and we can look at it and we can legitimately say, I have never seen that water before. It's new every second. It's bubbling up from deep in the earth, this well, this water. Never seen that before. Never seen that before. Wow, that's amazing. And that's how our relationship is to be with God, is to be gripped and overwhelmed and thrilled and amazed and excited and satisfied, like looking at a well and saying, wow, I never saw that before. Wow, I never saw that before. I'm seeing another dimension of your goodness. I'm seeing another dimension of your faithfulness. I'm seeing something more of your love. I'm something, seeing something more of your power and your capacity and your goodness. When our most important goal and desire is to know him, when the thing that moves us most deeply is to love him, he is glorified, he is displayed, he is So John Piper, that guy I just referred to, he has a book called Christian Hedonism. Do you know what a hedonist is? Someone whose whole life is the pursuit of pleasure. That's Christianity. We can be hedonists. Our whole life can be the pursuit of pleasure in God. That's our calling. To be satisfied and to love and let him love us and let him show himself and be overwhelmed and to be thrilled and pursue and enjoy and to gaze and to hear and to, to say, wow, I've never seen that about you before. We are called to be hedonists and overwhelmed with satisfaction and joy because of who God is. And when that's our life, he gets glorified, he gets displayed, he gets reflected, he gets seen. 
It's like we become a telescope for the world. Not a microscope that makes somehow God bigger because he's tiny. But, but a telescope it gives you the capacity to see something that's huge and away. And it gives you a vision of something. We become telescopes to the world. You want to know what God is like? Look at my life. You want to know what joy is like? I want to tell you where I get it from. And so when our delight is God, I, I, I want to communicate something about how sanctification happens. You know, sanctification is a gradual process of being transformed more and more and more to be like Jesus. We call it it's progressive, it's steady, it's a process. It happens over time. I, I want to say that a huge aspect of being transformed to become like Jesus is about being in the presence of Holy Spirit. It's about being and hanging out with God. Because when your chief desire is to be like God, you actually get changed and transformed and your affections get changed by hanging out with him. The fruit of the Spirit are not personal development pointers. They're fruit, singular, of a person, and you become like the person you hang out with. So if we're struggling with patience or faithlessness or joylessness or lovelessness, what we need is not to grit our teeth and try harder to get those things. We need to hang out with the person who is all those things and let him love us and be shaped by him. His kindness leads us to change our mind. When we, when, when we hang out with God and we say, do you know what, my chief delight is to get to know you and desire you and want you, we get liberated from, from selfishness. We get liberated from it being all about me. We get liberated from our focus just being upon ourselves. And we get moved out of that and we find ourselves being compelled by love to seek the good of others in a way that we could hardly ever believe is possible. That love for God and love for others is the ultimate way that we display the glory of God by the way that we love. We show off God I want to read us one last verse that's in Exodus 33, 18, where Moses says, show me your glory. And Moses is talking to God because God has said, you know what? The people have just disobeyed and made golden calf and all that stuff and rebelled. And God is saying, you know what, Moses, I love, I love you. I'll make a name for myself in the land, but I won't go with you. I'll send an angel to go with you, but you still get to inherit the land. And Moses says, if, if your presence, this is in Exodus 33 and verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you. And I know you by name. 
And then Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. C.S. Lewis says, it's a quote where he says, some people refused, refused to leave making mud pies in the street because they can't imagine what an invitation to the beach means. Sometimes we're so scared of leaving, being in control, and trust, we're so scared of trusting, we're so scared of surrender, of yielding, we're so scared of the idea that if I make my whole life about the pursuit and the wonder of God, am I going to miss out? Actually, it's to his glory, it's to his glory that you don't miss out. It's to his glory that you give him all your struggles and all your chaos and all your stuff so that he can solve it. But the, the, the issue I'm really talking there is that sometimes we're so scared of yielding and surrender because we think we're going to miss out because we can't imagine what an invitation to the beach looks like. So we prefer to make mud pies in the street because we think at least I know what mud pies in the street are and we have no idea of what it sounds like. The sound of the seagull, the, the warmth of the beach the sand under our feet, the sound of the sea coming in, the open space of freedom. We can't imagine that, so we think, I'm just going to stay making mud pies. I'll just keep what I've got, because he can't be that good. And Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass by you. There's something about this yielded surrender of trust that I'm never going to miss out. I won't miss out. I won't miss out. If I make my chief desire and delight the pursuit of your glory, I'll never miss out. I'm getting on the bus and I'm going to the beach with you. I'm not going to miss out. I'm going to make my chief only goal one thing and one thing only. The pursuit of your glory. I'll pursue your glory in my marriage. I'll pursue your glory in my parenting. I'll pursue your glory in the way I work. I'll pursue your glory in the way I serve in local church. I'll pursue your glory in the way I'm generous. I'll pursue your glory in every word and every deed and every priority that I have. That's all I want. And we grow in that and we learn and it's like a new language and it's a new way of living and we grow and we learn. And that's how we find ourselves living on the beach. I was at a conference yesterday and Andy Merrick had a prophetic word called, we're falling awake. You know that we fall asleep, you know how it is to fall asleep, you fall asleep and then you're asleep. That God is wanting to cause us to fall awake. And Paul prays that prayer in Ephesians. He says, I want you to know the hope to which you've been called. And I I, I just invite you, just, you know, like as I've been talking, you're thinking, I don't even know what you're on about. But you might be standing there thinking, I don't even know if I want more. And I want to, I just invite you that my presence. 
to, to connect with him right now, even if you're thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about, mud pies in the street and beaches, I, I've got stuff to do and work to do, I've just come to church and, and now you're talking to me about going to the beach and loving this God who's invisible, great, good morning, I don't know what you're on about. I, I'm saying that Holy Spirit can birth in your taste buds something that wasn't there before because he touched you. I'm talking about Holy Spirit can cause you to long and yearn and hunger and desire and want and birth in you a deep longing for him even when you don't have one. Because if he can save us like Rob was talking about and coming in our room and opening up our eyes to the need of salvation, he can easily come to people who are already alive and give us fresh taste buds and desire and wake us up. I'm not saying that in a critical way. I need waking up, God. I need waking up. I need to see more. I want to know more. I want to desire more. I want to know the scope and the scale and the glory of the hope I've been called to. I want to see Jesus and who he is and the capacity of Jesus to do everything he's going to do. I want to trust you more. I want to believe you on a deeper level. So if you just think, actually, I want, I want, I want something. I don't even know what I want. Let's just maybe lift your hands and we're going to ask Holy Spirit to do what only Holy Spirit can do. Because Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus. And Holy Spirit is most glorified when a whole bunch of people say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, we just connect to you right now. You're here. You've always been here with us. And we're just connecting to you right now and asking you that we might know the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of God in Christ. I ask you that, God, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that where we maybe haven't tasted for a while, God, cause us to be so hungry, so ravishly hungry for Jesus. Cause our desire to bubble up. I want him, 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 I want him. I want him now. I want him every day and every morning. I want to be with him. I want to hear his voice. I want to touch his wisdom and his power. I want to be like him. I want to be transfigured and metamorphosized to think and live and see like you. Come and do it in us. Go to war on all of our negativity. Go to war on all of our issues of identity. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We just love you. And even as we sing... Even as we sing, God, birth it in us. Birth it in us. Yes, Jesus. We're dependent on you. Thank you.